Just because two people are involved in the same incident does not mean they both experience the same thing. But does this necessarily mean that only one narrative can be true at a time? Or is it possible one narrative is not sufficient evidence to cancel out another? Welcome back. I'm Valerie, and this is Anti. The same sun. Have you ever noticed how the sun that energizes the soil to nourish is the same sun that hardens the clay that destroys? In the book of Revelations, there are two main groups of people, the repentant and the unrepentant. It isn't that these two groups of people experience different things and therefore have different responses to God. They both experience the same traumas, the same trials, and the same tribulations. Analogously, these two different samples of earth are responding to the same sun differently, not because the sun is somehow treating them different, but because they actually are different. What makes the clay different from the soil? The soil that we use, for example, to cultivate gardens or fertilize fields, is able to produce healthy produce and plants because its contents are relatively balanced whereas the contents of clay are imbalanced, so it either produces difficult plants or it kills plants that are struggling to survive. The old adage goes, you are what you eat. And it's true. You not only become as healthy as the contents you ingest, but also you tend to become the information you read, hear, or even recite often. Narratives Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, a.k.a. Vladimir Lenin, was the man who is credited for saying the quote, A lie told often enough becomes the truth. And the propagandist Joseph Goebbels was the man who was credited for acting this quote out during World War II. It was Goebbels' propaganda campaign that was largely responsible for the German anti-Semitism that contributed to the outcome of the Holocaust. Adolf Hitler worked with Goebbels to make his anti-Semitic legislations more popular. As with many other Nazi and fascist leaders, past and present, Hitler knew that if he could get the Germans to consume anti-Semitism long enough, he could virtually make them anti-Semitic. All Hitler had to do was convert the Germans from hearing and seeing anti-Semitism to telling themselves anti-Semitic things. The moment that Germans began to tell themselves anti-Semitic narratives, Hitler had become successful in converting innocent bystanders into complicit participants. It's one thing when you watch a certain news channel over and over again. As long as you don't rehearse whatever you heard or watched, you're just a viewer. Nothing more, nothing less. Once you start rehearsing the information you've been hearing, you have created a narrative for yourself. You've taken the information from your environment and deposited it into yourself. This is why narratives are so powerful. Narratives are more powerful than mind control. Because mind control requires that you suppress someone else's will, but narratives mean that they now agree with your will. When we rehearse to ourselves accurate, healthy, or positive information, that can be an extraordinarily powerful thing that does a lot of good for everyone. But imagine what happens when the information we rehearse to ourselves is negative, toxic, or false. 
campaigns. It's called a misinformation machine or an echo chamber. False information, distorted views, or warped principles are constantly being pumped into your senses, all day and all night, every day of the week. This information could come to you via your news channel, your entertainment, your social media, or even the people in your community. Eventually, you start to rehearse to yourself the information that you've been hearing and you develop your own narrative. But it is different when information is taught to you versus when it is bombarded upon you, hence the misinformation machine or echo chamber. But first, let's clarify something. By bombardment of information, I'm not talking about a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is when there is a major transition or a natural flow of change in a particular area of livelihood, like technology or sociology. So let's say you're used to using a flip phone, and suddenly you're surrounded with pictures and commercials of smartphones, and it seems like every phone company in the world is trying to get you to convert to a smartphone. That is not an information echo chamber that's trying to force your narrative. That is a paradigm shift. That happens to every generation. So if you're used to heterosexuality and then you suddenly see pictures and commercials of homosexual or bisexual couples, that's a paradigm shift. What I am talking about is when the information sources that you are consuming are trying to turn you for a certain group of people by turning you against another. Misinformation machines are not a natural progression of technological or sociological change. They are tactical opposition training. Someone is trying to get you to be on their team by turning you against a perceived other side. This is why paradigm shifting does not qualify as a misinformation machine. Trying to be more included in the mainstream does not mean that they are trying to get you to be against whoever is already mainstream. They just want to feel included. Inclusivity campaigns are not misinformation echo chambers. They are activism. But there is a misinformation echo chamber that the Antichrist has employed by trying to get people to support Christianity by turning them against certain groups of people, such as people who support abortion, privacy, and equality rights. Misinformation echo chambers bombard listeners with information in order to deceive them into this us-versus-them dynamic in order to convert their listeners into one-sided supporters. Misinformation machines make sure to tell their listeners, whether directly or indirectly, that if you are going to support us, you have to be against them. You can't be on both sides. The Image There is an interesting misinformation machine the false prophet system produces in Revelation 13, verses 15 through 17. It's called the Image of the Beast. Though it was just called an image, this image could apparently speak and order executions from the highest levels of power. The false prophet system launches this campaign against any who are disloyal, so that they are killed, whether that is literally or figuratively speaking. If the false prophet is launching this campaign to accredit the rule of the Antichrist, then we have a sum total of four moving parts here. 1. The image or the loyalty campaign. 2. The false prophet system. 3. The Antichrist system. And of course, 4. The devil who is behind it all. Likely the image represents a person in position of high authority, like a national or political figurehead, or even a ruler. 
The false prophet system, of course, is a misinformation echo chamber of corrupted or completely delusional people. The Antichrist system is an anti-church of self-servers, using the name or nature of God to immunize their character from judgment and their actions from accountability. Finally, the devil is a spirit spearheading multiple intersectional and dynamic spiritual attacks on God and the church through political and corporate powers. Because the devil is a spirit and the false prophet and antichrist are systems, the most visible moving part here is the image of the beast. Therefore, it makes sense that this campaign is run by individual well-known persons. For example, a national dictator, an international director, or a former elected official would fit the bill here, as they would have the influence to command loyalty, as well as the legal resources to enforce disloyalty infractions. But if this moving part is the smallest, although the most visible, what stands behind them is bigger, stronger, richer, and much more deadly. That dictator, or that former official, is in as much mortal danger as those who are disloyal to him or her. One failure big enough, or one infraction themselves, and they will be swiftly replaced by a new image. This is what I need you to understand. The image might look like the head of the operation because it's the most visible, but that actually speaks to its lowness on the totem pole. The false prophet system is a mob for hire, a gang of violent enforcement. The false prophet system holds the most direct or immediate sway over the image, even though it actually serves the image. But even more powerful and deadlier than the false prophet system is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is so deadly because no one expects the clergyman to pull out the gun. Unlike the false prophet system, which is more political, the Antichrist is religious. The false prophet might wear a bulletproof vest or a uniform, but the Antichrist wears a robe, a mantle, and a cross. The Antichrist has the money, and the false prophet system has the muscle. So the Antichrist hires the muscle to squeeze the image under subjection. I am by no means attempting to excuse the image, but we must remember who the image belongs to. The image is mere furniture, property to the devil. It's not that hard to buy, and it's even easier to replace. The dictator is so vicious, not of his own accord, but because of who stands ready to kill him on sight if he doesn't meet quota. The mob for hire is not reckless of its own accord. It is as reckless as the Antichrist deceives it to be. But the Antichrist is not deadly because it's the goat of all evil. It is as destructive as the devil tempts it to be. Violence, deception, and temptation are operations of the devil so that he can control his own. The Antichrist is not high rank enough to totally oversee the operations, but it is a shot caller. In basic politics, campaigns are used to move influence around to the candidate's advantage. Politics energizes people, but that doesn't mean anything if at the end of the day they don't vote for you. This is what campaigns aim to achieve. Support. What kind of support does the Antichrist need? Same as any other politician. Allegiance, partnerships, donations, and even organizers. If operations are going to run smoothly, it has to have the manpower and currency to sustain it and move it forward. Autoimmune. Previously, we talked about some operations crucial to the Antichrist's mission of destruction to aid and abet the devil's mission. Today, we're talking about the Antichrist campaign. 
Now we're going to take it a step further. In order for classist or discriminatory operations to work, it first requires some sort of misinformation campaign to weaken the immune response of any community or state of people. For example, if everyone knows that classism is toxic, if the Antichrist tried a classist operation, then everyone would reject it and prevent it from being effective. So the Antichrist needs the healthy response of the public to be weak in order to successfully complete harmful operations. These next several campaigns that we'll review are designed to help create and maintain distorted or false narratives that create autoimmune communities of Antichrist members, which ultimately facilitate Antichrist operations. There are four. Deception, blatancy, numbness, and lawlessness. We will see, as the Antichrist starts with the first, each subsequent is just a consequence of the previous. And just so you are aware, from now on, I'm going to use the terms Antichrist and Fascist interchangeably, because fascism has become so absorbed into the Antichrist mission. I will also imply that some global affairs that are either related to other religions or are otherwise not related to Christendom are part of the kingdom of God. The reason I do this is because based on Matthew 8, 10 through 12, I do not believe that heaven will be only full of Christians. I believe it will be full of believers. Therefore, I believe the kingdom of God extends far beyond the parameters of Christendom. That it is actually whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. I believe the kingdom of God is more than a singular religious identifier, or even a set of religious protocols. Romans 14.7 says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit. More after this. Hey, want to stay up to date on the latest anti-podcast episodes? Or be the first to hear the cinematic audiobook release date for Kingdom of Gold? Just head on over to my website, kaylin.info, to stay up to date on all the things you need to know. That's C-A-Y-L-A-N dot info. You can also stay connected with me by following me on Instagram or TikTok. You can find all of my social media handles on my website at kaylin.info. That's C-A-Y-L-A-N dot I-N-F-O. Dominoes. Jesus said one of the Antichrist's primary missions is to deceive, the very elect if possible. I noticed Jesus said deceive and not flat out lie. Deceit and lying are not the same. I lie if I say the sky is green and the grass is blue, but I deceive if I say because the sky is blue, it is also green since green is a variant of blue. And that's why it's much harder to detect deceit than a regular lie. Misinformation is not called lies because it is a practice of deceit, not untruth. I think this is a reason why the repeated fascist misinformation campaigns in America were so successful every time. No matter how many experts saw it coming, fascist campaigns always seem to be effective in creating some of the widest factional divides in history, because all fascist campaigns start with an obvious fact. And the fact is that facts make arguments harder to dispute. 
The harder it is to refute an argument, the harder it is to defend yourself against it. Fascists arm their hate campaigns with facts first, making them seem irrefutable. But a weakness of fascist campaigns and propaganda is that they are never based on truth. Facts and truth are as different as a photograph of a storm and the actual storm. Facts are clips of information that reflect a small portion of the truth or otherwise convey a certain perspective of the truth. The facts are not equivalent to the truth. This is why in court we swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. Therefore, fascist arguments usually cannot be altogether refuted, but they can be put in their proper perspective. Fascist campaigns usually take a small, sometimes innocuous or particular fact, and they over-exaggerate it, blow it out of proportion, and use it to make weaponized overgeneralizations. They will make this small and very specific fact and try to relate it to everything on their grievance list to make their argument seem more urgent. For instance, they will take the fact that some Black Lives Matter protesters were arrested for unruly protest offenses and conflate that incident to be the entire image of Black Lives Matter. It won't matter that justice was properly served and that Black Lives Matter has conducted better organized rallies since. It doesn't matter that Black Lives Matter has gotten treated unfairly under the current legal system. All the fascist campaigns are going to do is to take Black Lives Matter and appeal to their listeners to support them by becoming an enemy against Black Lives Matter. The fact was that there were both Black Lives Matter and unrelated protesters that were arrested for minor offenses. But the truth is, Black Lives Matter is not an arsonist or a riot group. They are an activist group. But fascists will always use the facts to deceive people from seeing the truth. People who are deceived often enough tend to become more blatant with their hateful rhetoric because they believe that their argument is established by sound fact, even though it is absolutely debunked by the truth. Blatancy is a consequence of deception. The initial step that Antichrist campaigns must take is to weaken the community's immune responses to hateful rhetoric with deception. It is not people who know they are wrong that are blatant. It is people who honestly, genuinely believe they are right. Jonah, the Apostle Paul, and Nicodemus all believed that what they were doing was right because they had based their ideologies on fact. But when they were confronted with the truth of God, all of them were convicted. But only two of them repented. Even though the parable of Jonah is considered an anti-hero story, the blatancy was the point. It is the legalistic desire to defend oneself from the truth with isolated facts. It didn't matter to Jonah that God had just shown him grace in the belly of the fish. Jonah blatantly doubled down and used the isolated facts of Nineveh's sin as an excuse to do literally anything but show them the grace of God. The Antichrist takes advantage of the fact that the singular most offensive thing that God has ever commanded us to do is to love our enemies. In fact, Antichrist uses legalistic strategies in order to make loving one's enemies appear to be some kind of tolerance of sin and is thereby ungodly. Effective deception makes people blatant in their wrongdoing, and blatant people are overwhelming. This is what the Antichrist wants. The Antichrist deceives people so that they will be blatant enough to become an overwhelming force against the kingdom of God. Blatancy doesn't make the Antichrist members numb. In fact, it gets them even more riled up and fired up. Blatancy makes the targets more numb. 
What the authentic kingdom of God ends up feeling is the overwhelming and incessant nonstop attacks from blatant members of the Antichrist who have been effectively deceived. These attacks come so frequently, so often, for so long, that the resolve of the kingdom of God to resist this move of the enemy becomes numb. They may start off with a strong resistance against this level of blatancy, but eventually that resistance begins to wear down. No matter how big the movements are, they die down and turn into protests. Protests turn into hashtags, hashtags turn into numbness, because everybody gets used to the abuse, and the objective just becomes about outlasting the abuse rather than standing up against it. And the longer the kingdom of God hides from this abuse, lawlessness is allowed to continue, unimpeded and without interference. Lawlessness goes unaccounted for. People are able to commit crimes in broad daylight and there will not be any justice. Even those who do experience a sliver of justice, the problem is so widespread that it doesn't really feel like genuine justice anymore. The Antichrist's ultimate hope is that the kingdom of God will be numb so long that they will just become hopeless. Let's not give the Antichrist that chance. Triggers So far, we know what the Antichrist is, what it does, how it does it, why, and to what end. But none of that matters if we don't understand when it is triggered into action. Yes, the Antichrist has triggers too. These are the Antichrist's optimal window of opportunity to execute either campaigns or full-scale operations. Identifying some of these triggers, I believe, will help us anticipate and deter its impact in first local and then wider communities. There are four that I would like to point out. Unity, resistance, freedom, and equality. We know these are triggers for the Antichrist because to be an effective deceiver, it must scapegoat the kingdom of God as the Antichrist in order to purport itself as the real kingdom of God. Therefore, whatever the kingdom of God stands for, the Antichrist must demonize it, which it does in a number of ways. Since the kingdom of God stands for unity, resistance, freedom, and equality, the Antichrist has to make these things seem ungodly. Every time the kingdom of God demonstrates any of these in a major way, the Antichrist must act quickly if it wants to remain effective. One way the Antichrist has deceived people was by weaponizing scripture with legalism. Even though God clearly states that he draws with loving kindness, the Antichrist deceived people into being scared into right standing with God instead of being saved by grace through faith. Antichrist has been effective in the past in this way through you're going to hell propaganda. But since people have been wising up to its scare tactics, recently the Antichrist has been using more deceptive tactics, like reaction formation grifting, legal enforcement, and even corporate greed. Rather than scaring people into its delusions, Antichrist now finds ways to tempt, force, or trick people into its delusions. Take the Jesus Gets Us ads run during yesterday's Super Bowl. They got so much pushback because the owners of the ad and the related campaign were pushing leftist ideology, though their campaign was funded by extreme rightist donors, including anti-choice lobbyists and LGBTQ hate groups, like the Defending Freedom Conservative Christian Alliance. The Defending Freedom Alliance helped overturn Roe v. Wade, and it is currently working to pass bills to make servicing LGBTQ persons harder 
and also make accessing abortion medications harder. This is what I call a reaction formation grift. Reaction formation is an ego defense mechanism where someone purports ideas and beliefs that are the opposite of their genuine beliefs to prevent or mitigate rejection. Reaction formation can be used as a grifting tactic by disguising one's damaged brand under the good brand of someone else to trick people into supporting and accepting them who never otherwise would have had they known the truth. First, the Antichrist is often triggered by major displays of unity. The kingdom of God is a unified body, per Ephesians 4, verse 3 and 13. The responses across the globe to the death of George Floyd was considered one of the largest movements for justice in history. The unity across the globe displayed a message the Antichrist couldn't ignore. Justice does not only belong to one race or group of people. Weaponizing divisive politics, the Antichrist was triggered into starting a campaign to demonize Black Lives Matter as a terrorist organization. Second, movements of opposition to oppression and cruelty are another trigger of the Antichrist. The kingdom of God resists the temptations of the devil until the Lord's return, per James 4 verse 7, 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, and 1 Peter 5 verse 9. The Antichrist will often deploy blatant attacks of incessant cruelty in order to stop effective resistance to its evil schemes. The response to the deaths of Masa Amini and Nika Shakarami in Iran are an example. Iran's resistance to the regime's poor leadership and draconian oppressions has been unwavering, so the Antichrist used legal enforcement to immunize its evil schemes while also demonizing the enduring will of the Kingdom of God. Since then, the incessant and blatant attacks against the sovereignty of the Iranian people have either sustained or increased, not decreased. Also, the brutality of Putin against the Ukrainian people is an example of this Antichrist trigger. Ukraine had resisted against fascist tyranny with unwavering will, so the Antichrist triggered an unjustified invasion. In this case as well, the attacks and the antics of the Russian military have either sustained or increased, not decreased. Third, because the Antichrist wants control and power, it is strongly against any idea of freedom. Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2 Corinthians 3.17 clearly depict Christ and his kingdom as proponents of and sometimes facilitators of liberty. Therefore, the Antichrist is triggered by major displays of democracy or freedom, such as the victorious outcome of the 2020 U.S. election, as well as the landmark ruling of Roe v. Wade. Just because such victories happen does not mean that the Antichrist will allow them to stay without a fight. The January 6th insurrection and the Dobbs case are both Antichrist reactions. And last, the Antichrist is also triggered by major displays of equality. Galatians 3 verse 28 says that the kingdom of God is devoid of social privilege labels, including gender, race, and power, or money. This is why I believe that the Reconstruction era in the U.S. was murdered. It was an attempt to show the world what a truly egalitarian democracy looked like. Had it been successful, the Antichrist would never have had another opportunity again. In order to sustain the idea of a global Christian empire, the Antichrist must resist and destroy all egalitarian movements. Fascists do not want to be free. They want to be in power. And that requires the subjugation of other people. As long as the Antichrist can make it hard or impossible for people to tell the difference between itself and the true kingdom of God, 
it's winning. Now that we've got a layman's handle on the Antichrist, let's get into why we're really here. Over the next several episodes, we will talk about interpretations of revelations and what makes them important for us today. After the federal holiday, starting February 27th, we will cover four notable passages in Revelations throughout the month of March. So stay tuned. These next several episodes are ones you don't want to miss. This anti-episode was written, edited, and produced by me, thanks to the all-in-one podcasting app, Anchor. For access to all citations and references for this episode, please click the link, which will take you directly to the website page. Please like and share this podcast if you enjoyed it, and feel free to rate and leave a review. Next time on Anti. The Antichrist has been working for a long time to undermine the church, but the sign of the end is when the world truly sees the Antichrist for what it is, and half the world responds by carrying on as normal. The beginning of Sorrow's prelude includes the first four seals of Revelation chapter 6, representing war, famine, pestilence, also known as pandemic, and death, whether by natural and or biological disasters.